Yeah, so I know it's been a minute since I've been on a minute. Um, I might. I can't complain. Unless I shouldn't. Um, that's happened. I went from being gainfully employed. Okay, not gainfully, just employed to being unemployed to being underemployed and back to unemployed. So there was that. Um... When I was employed, I was basically too tired to podcast. Then when I was unemployed slash underemployed, I was too bummed to do it. And um, there you have it. There's just no winning. Um, it's been a little rough, but I'm alright. Don't cry for me, Argentina. I really am okay. My life is very Dickensian. It is quite literally the best of times and the worst of times. Um, I've been reading Naomi Klein's revolutionary book, This Changes Everything, on the looming climate crisis, which explains the worst of times, and ironically still, the best of times. I guess that's dialectics for you. The long and short of it is uh, climate change will kill us, painfully and dramatically, but if we step up and make the necessary changes, this could easily be the best thing that's happened to us, you know. Clouds and silver linings. Um, there's days when I'm not panicking about climate change. I'm panicking about being an unemployed cat mom. Well, and the living climate catastrophe. So that's my life. Um, in more best of times, I have a new cat. His name is Ginger. Bring in my new turtle to drum rolls. Zero men and three cats. Ginger, baby, and our first honey bun bun Tesla and McGarrett. And now you're all caught up. Yeah, um, anywho, uh, let's talk about today's show. One of my fondest childhood memories is watching Serafina at my late uncle's house. For some reason, if my memory serves me right, I watched it every time I went to visit them. And I always watched it alone on the VCR when everyone else had gone to bed. Um, I imagine I watched it with them the first time, but after that it was just me and the replay button on every single visit. Um, we had no VCR, and at some point we didn't even have a TV, so that may explain my obsession whenever I visited them. Anyway, I remember writing down the lines and practicing them. I look at the camera, flash. Smile at the camera, flash. Look at the people, big eyes. Stars don't do, stars be. <laughs> I loved it. It transports me right back to preteen me in my uncle's living room every single time. So when a dear friend of mine invited my Brooke unemployed us out to watch Serafina the play on her, I said yes, yes, yes ma'am. The day came, the theater was more electrifying than I remembered, and I was crazy excited. Spoiler alert, I wasn't when I left. I was just mostly disappointed. Um, Serafina the play was directed by a white guy called Stuart Nash, and it starred Mkamsi Motela, I hope that's how her name is, said um, Helen Tawali and Martin Gedenji and of course you know the rest of the supporting cast just to be clear 
My disappointment wasn't with the performance as much as it was with my expectations about the execution of such a remarkable story. Serafina, for me, is a radical, revolutionary tale. It tells the story of South Africa's struggle for independence from the white colonizers through the eyes of some radical black students. And that's just mind-blowingly radical. My big problem with this play, as directed by Nash, is that it doesn't see the big picture and pigeonholes the South African problem to one purely about race. Far be it from me to suggest that race had nothing to do with it. But here's the thing. To only see race as a problem is to be severely insular. To mark the play in Kenya, a country in which the race relations are not nearly as complex and volatile as they are in South Africa, with only a few tweaks aimed at sparking some black solidarity feeling, is indicative of either a poverty of imagination or, and I think this is the one, indicative of the counter-revolutionary leanings of the director. That's right, I said it. I said it. It had to be said. Somebody got to say it. Serafina is not just about race relations. In fact, I would venture to say the race element is borderline and consequential. Hear me out. Colonialism and illegal occupation are not purely motivated by racism. They are motivated by greed and a desire for power and the, belief, and the belief that the occupiers are of superior stock to the natives. That's why I think a reading of Serafina that does not have at its core a critique of power, occupation, and all forms of oppression is counter-revolutionary and designed purely as a feel-good exercise where we look back and say, oh, they fought and won. Instead of looking at the present and asking, in what ways are we still subject to occupation, illegitimate power, and oppression? We went on the last day of the play, and the cabinet secretary for sports and blah 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 and culture was invited. She was even introduced and welcomed at the start of the play. Here's the thing. A revolutionary play such as what Serafina could have been, would have been banned by the government, not celebrated. Her presence there was counter-revolutionary. When she was introduced, there should have been booze or just good old fuck you silence. Bitch works for corrupt administration that can best be described as a leech sucking on the dried up, cracked and oozing, pus filled nipples of the Kenyan citizen. The message at a revolutionary showing of Serafina would have been bitch. You and that corrupt administration can go and fuck yourselves while you still have the time because we're coming for you. We're gonna fight the hell back. I'd hate for it to look like I'm suggesting that the director didn't try to make the narrative relevant to present day Kenya. He did, but in the most pedestrian way. It was done through Helen Kawali. Her lines just made me fucking cringe. They were supposed to be funny, and I guess they were to some people, most people if I'm honest, but to me they just felt superfluous. I can understand wanting to inject some humor and lightheartedness into into the play, but for God's sake, do it in a way that adds to the story. A way that reveals more of the character to us and pushes the story forward. She had jokes about cockroaches in a white man's house. And lines from that Martin Luther Black song adding herself in Helen Tawali Black. Ugh. It was just so unnecessary and I would argue it detracted from the overall value of the story. She was playing the part of Serafina's mother and revealed nothing more about her character, her feelings about the struggle, her thoughts about racism and class warfare that had it taken care of some white guy's kids instead of her own. I hated it. I fucking hated her scenes. Now, I've watched plays dealing with weighty themes that have incorporated humor without detracting from the overall story. I think Howard Zinn's Max and Soul does it beautifully. Humor is infused everywhere. 
but not just for its own sake. It's not gratuitous. It reveals character and tells more about the life, about the time, the life and times of Karl Marx's life. His jokes about Bakunin show the differences he and Bakunin had. They're not just about getting a laugh out of us. I hated. I hated it. I hated even more that to make the play relevant to Kenya's situation, Helen kept bringing up Luo's and Kikuyu's and the historical beef there, and ugh, ugh. It's not even in keeping with the historical integrity of the play. The play is set in pre-independent South Africa, in Soweto, yet one of the key cast members keeps inexplicably talking about Luo's and Kikuyu's and how they should love each other. What the fuck are Luo's and Kikuyu's? Also, this false dichotomy in which the problems in this country are distilled neatly into Luas and Kikuyu's beef is counter-revolutionary. If Luas and Kikuyu's have this long-standing beef that we all somehow acknowledge, the next question must be, why do they have this beef? Where was the injustice committed? Also, this country has bigger problems than tribes. Now, I'm not saying tribalism isn't a thing we have to deal with. But I'm convinced, like Chomsky, Chris Hedges, and the rest of that WhatsApp group, that the problem always is power. Everything else is a sideshow designed to take our eyes off the mark. Our problem is the oppressive criminal political class and the equally oppressive capital holding class. That's our problem. Our problem is that a certified idiot like Francis Atoli is the head of our largest union. Unions are just about the most powerful resistance entities. And our largest is headed by a bling-bling-wearing asshole. This whole tribe thing is a sideshow, and the play choosing to single that out and focus on it is, I'll say it again, counter-revolutionary. And can we talk about this counter-revolutionary buzzwords, peace and love? Listen, it's really simple. When we're talking about oppression and illegitimate authority, and you open your mouth, and the word justice is not the first thing you say, get the fuck out of here. Talk to me about justice or leave me the fuck alone telling oppressed people fighting for their freedom and human dignity about peace. Fuck you and fuck peace. Come back when you're ready to talk about justice. And can we talk about love? Love is just about the most revolutionary force we have. People lay their lives down, literally, in movements everywhere, fighting for life, freedom, and human dignity. They do it for themselves, they do it for their children, they do it for total strangers, they do it for the environment. And you want to come and tell people fighting for their lives about love. Bitch, please. Do you think anyone goes to the street to fight for their life who doesn't first love their life? Fuck out of here. You know who doesn't have love? Those people in those powerful offices making all the laws and exercising their illegitimate authority over oppressed people. That's who doesn't know what the fuck love is. Telling oppressed people about love and peace. Bitch, please. Go take that gospel to the ones doing the oppressing. This play could have been so fiery, denouncing all oppressive forces from corporations to governments to religious institutions co-opted by neoliberal ideologies rooted in the individual pursuit of profit and power. It reminds me of Black Panther, the movie, touted as radical and revolutionary, yet still espousing the same values of centralized power, violence, neoliberal capitalist ideas counter-revolutionary at its very core, just designed to make you feel good in your kitenga talking about black power, whatever that is. Anywho, that pretty much covers my rant on the counter-revolutionary nature of the play. I could go on, but I'm guessing you get the gist. Um, let's talk about songs and how sad it is that Kenya doesn't have struggle songs. 
I don't know why we don't have struggle zones, but it just feels to me like a colossal deficit. And when do we must talk about <clears throat> my sexy voice? <clears throat> Not my sexy voice. And when do we must talk about what our songs reveal about us? And yes, I'm talking about this whole ethic-esque genre. It really just breaks my heart that that's the kind of music that does well here. Um, I love the music of the play and the performance. I just wish they had English subtitles of the struggle songs on screen. It's one thing to infer the meanings of the songs from the context. It's another to actually know what the words explicitly mean. One of the songs the cast sang the desert for me is this one. The song is played when they're at one of the protests, and it's electrifying on its own. But when you know that in the song they're simulating the sound of an AK-47 gunshot, it changes the whole weight of the scene and reveals so much more about the protesters' states of mind. They're essentially saying, this is what an AK-47 gun sounds like, and if you think we're scared, we're not. We know what it sounds like, what it can do, and we're still here. They're saying, if you think we're afraid, Motherfucker, we're not. So if you want to shoot from that AK-47, bitch, go right the fuck ahead. <laughs> I don't know that there's any badassery that can surpass that. I just, I don't. One day soon, we'll talk about misogyny and we'll talk about jokes. Because I can't tell you how disappointed I was as people laughed at Sabella's jokes. Sabella's this sellout cop, and more importantly, a grown-ass man who was sniffing after Serafina, constantly pursuing her. Everything about him was just a giant middle finger. Well, everything except the fact that he was played by Martin Gillinji, who's kind of hot. So, one day soon we'll talk about misogyny, and we'll talk about jokes. We'll talk about who we laugh at, who we laugh with, and why. Most people label you a bit of an extremist when you question things like jokes. But here's the thing. I'm convinced that when we say things, we're saying things, even when those things are cloaked as jokes. Plus, I've been listening to this audiobook, A Brief Misogyny, A Brief History of Misogyny, sorry. You still listen to it. And here's the thing. Sexism is just a product of misogyny. Sabella completely ignoring Serafina's repeated rejection is symptomatic of deep-seated sexism, and by extension misogyny. And misogyny is a legit hatred of women, not just discrimination and whatnot, just good old-fashioned hatred of women. That should concern us. It should concern you if you give any fucks about women at all. So jokes matter. And one day soon we'll talk about misogyny. One day soon we'll also talk about school and the idea of government-approved curricula, and just the ways in which schools are used to generate converts and foot soldiers for the current oppressive systems. Um, Serafina's teacher, Mrs. Miri Masumboga, I think it was Masumboga, was arrested because she was teaching things outside of curriculum, and she was teaching those students their history, which is radical. History is radical and revolutionary. How is it possible to allow the person exercising authority over you to, de to determine what you can and cannot be taught. She was arrested because she taught things that the uh, apartheid government did not approve of. As the Lord said, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. 
Why would the master equip you with the tools to free yourself? Why? We need to learn beyond what the master approves of so that we can dismantle that fucking house and free ourselves, humanity, and the entire world. So, I had about this bell hooks quote about how pedagogy is actually in popular culture. Entertainment is where the conversation is. It's where the dialogue, the learning is at. This is what's shaping our worldviews. And to ignore it in the name of it's just entertainment, don't overthink it, is remarkably and painfully short-sighted. That's what this podcast is about. We look at the narratives in entertainment and try and decipher what they're saying and in what ways they could or are shaping our worldviews. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We're not about hating on creative works and their authors. I actually enjoyed watching Serafina the play. And I just, I was so jealous of everybody who got to be a part of, a part of it. We are not about hating on the creative works. We're just about create, critiquing what they contain, what they're putting out into the public domain. I think that we especially have to critically examine narratives that claim to have a revolutionary social change, social justice bent to them. Serafina falls here. And that wretched Black Panther film too. So, you know, just say, stay revolutionary, kids. Keep them eyes open. And don't be afraid to look deeper and have thoughts about what you find. Don't be afraid to be wrong. You'll be wrong a lot anyway. Be more afraid of not thinking at all. That's the true danger, I think. So, that pretty much closes that. Um, This September, I'm working on something for the climate strike which will be observed internationally from the 20th to the 27th i'll let you know how it goes um in the meantime as greta thunberg that is not how that name is pronounced but that is how it's written so that's how we say um as greta thunberg said it's time to panic this climate crisis thing is real as fuck it's time to panic um He's hoping the earth still exists in a way that's habitable to people. He's hoping we actually got off our asses and did something to save our common home. Um, he's hoping that you, my nieces, nephews, and other riffraff that have somehow ended up here are living in a better world than we did. Yeah. Until next time. Remember who you are. Love life, love people, and stay limited.